What's up, everyone? This is episode 217 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, well, I hope you guys are still enjoying the playoffs as much as I am, and I'm recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. I think there are four different games tonight, which uh, is wild. I don't even know what I'm going to do with myself. So if you're new to watching the NBA, just know you probably won't see a lot of first rounds better than this one. I don't remember one. You know, I've been watching pretty consistently since the early to mid 90s. I don't remember a better first round than this in a long time. So we've been very fortunate in that regard. And the injuries do bum me out a little bit, though, but that. I would say is likely a byproduct of the physicality that I mentioned liking so much at the start of last week's episode. And that style of play is unsustainable over a long period of time. So we probably can't have it both ways. Now, I kind of wanted to do some playoff-themed content around cards specifically, which I've tried to do some in past years as well, but it's difficult to do unless you delve into pricing comparisons and all the charts and graphs that go with that. So instead of me rehashing all of that, just know that a lot of the same principles of the past still apply. Despite the fact that the market's, I would say, not as reactive as it used to be, you guys know how it goes. Player A has a great game. More people are interested in his cards. His prices see a slight bump for a little bit. And then they'll settle once everything is passed over. So just like I told you in the past, if you're watching someone right now and you're itching to buy something of theirs as a response... You know, if you want it as a memento right now, and I get it, that's a thing, just expect to pay a bit of a premium. Otherwise, you might be better off waiting a couple months to allow things to settle again. And and I know, you know, this really isn't rocket science, right? It's just sometimes we need to be reminded of that, and it just requires a little discipline like anything else. Anyway, you guys know that that type of market content is not really my thing. I will leave that to the people that do more of that on a regular basis and do a good job with that too. But that playoff scenario that I just laid out, that's a great example of the type of situation that we've seen play out in the hobby time and time again. So if you're new to this, if you're new to the hobby, pay attention to patterns. In fact, I flipped the order of today's show. I'm saving all my mail for the end because I feel like the information I have for you today is so important, and I want to have your full attention. I mentioned patterns just a second ago. Patterns are going to comprise a theme in this opening segment because the truth of the matter is, if you're participating in this hobby and really paying attention to what's going on and are then able to adjust and react to that, you're going to be so much better off in the long run. Study context, study the people around you, and then learn from their behaviors as well. So I'm about to weigh in on a trio of hobby topics I would say recent hobby topics that I know other people have already covered in other places. But I want to approach these, quote, new or recent events from a more more historical context. And I mean, everything should be contextualized. But to be honest, I don't think a lot of the content out there right now does that. So as you're listening to me run through these three topics, it's probably going to take 15 minutes or so. Be on the watch for patterns. And I'm going to do my best to point them out to you as well. Okay, so we're looking for patterns here. And the first topic on today's agenda is Beckett. 
and I've talked about them several times in the last month or so. It's likely you guys already know the timeline, but real quick, they had the grading scale fiasco with that new label. They followed that up with a commitment to listen to the consumers. So now we're in the process of seeing that play out. Well, they ask everyone in the collecting community for their help and their input, so I tried to do my part. And that started with a 19-question survey, which really didn't take that long to fill out. I think I did that a couple weeks ago. And then they reached out to me again and asked me to be part of a focus group, which I had all intentions of doing, but they wanted me to sign an NDA. (laughs) And I understand that NDAs are a normal part of personal and professional dealings, so I don't want to blow this out of proportion here. This isn't the first company that's asked me to sign one, but quite frankly, in this situation... I think it's goofy, it's not necessary, and it ain't going to happen. Because I can envision a scenario where down the line, maybe I talk about Beckett in general, which, you know, this is a card podcast, it's going to happen, and they're going to keep making decisions that, you know, affect our ecosystem here, so it's going to happen. So if I were to talk about that, then they could claim that I violated an NDA. I'm not playing that game. It's stupid. Uh, My guess is they don't want you to know some of the people or types of people they're reaching out to. And I think that kind of transparency would be great. After all, I've been a big proponent of having some of these conversations in the open, but the last thing I'm going to do is jump through hoops to try and make that happen. Think about it. They're essentially saying, we want to be transparent, now sign this NDA. And this type of request follows their recent pattern of saying one thing and doing the opposite. And we know that because we've already seen it play out with them again and again. Patterns, people. Patterns. So anyway, they told me uh, later that they'd still be willing to meet with me directly after the round of focus groups, but at this point, I'm in the mindset of, it's your company. All the opinions are out there already. Plenty of people filled out the survey with the same concerns they voiced for several years now. You just neglected to listen to people for all that time, so now you need to figure out how to make things right. Okay, the next topic is about someone that seemingly is listening to people right now and giving them permission to share the topics that were discussed. That's Michael Rubin of Fanatics. And this past weekend, Instagram user Denny Card shared a screenshot of a quick exchange he had with Rubin regarding some of the pathetic autographs we've seen from athletes in recent years, specifically when they just sign initials. And Ruben noted, we own making sure the autos are high quality. NBA, not ours yet, but we on this. Now, seeing this makes me feel relatively hopeful. And the guy that posted that, Denny, shared similar emotions, albeit a little more enthusiastically than I am here. In speaking about Fanatics, Denny wrote, at least they listen or give an appearance that they do. Panini America did not and does not. At least they didn't seem that they did. And then he capped that off with a a bye Felicia. Now, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Not the bye Felicia part, but the other part. I'm going to push back on that. And this is where the pattern theme comes in once again. I feel like Panini absolutely listened to collectors in the early days, maybe even the first handful of years. And because I don't want to make a generalization here, I'm going to give a specific example I've never talked about on this show before. Back in 2012, a Harrison Barnes collector named Jeffrey, who goes by uh, Tar Heels Fan 2012 on Blowout, and I think he's on Instagram as well, he posted some mock-ups for a set he wanted to create 
uh, called City to City. And the idea was that it would have relic pieces from someone's old team and their current team, kind of similar to an old Fleer set back in the early 2000s called Trading Places, except his had autographs and some other differences here and there. Well, he sent that idea, and he actually he made a big blowout thread about it. He sent that to Tracy Hackler at Panini, and the next thing you know, a new product comes out called Panini Brilliance, and it's got a dual memorabilia set, and it called City to City. And I think he ended up getting a couple boxes in return for his contribution. So it's not like they took the idea and didn't acknowledge it. They worked with them. They used the idea. They acknowledged it. They compensated him in some way. So all of that is to say, Panini did listen to collectors at one time. In fact, the phrase I've used on this show several times before is that they courted collectors. We had really cool product reviews. We got footage from the rookie photo shoot. We had YouTube videos showing um, how they made memorabilia cards. Well, the honeymoon period eventually wore off, and as things currently sit, we are, um, I guess, contractually bound to them for the next few years. And it bums me out, because things started off well. Now, after going through all of this, I looked in the comments section of Denny's post, and someone else made a similar point, but then he closed with, it's all smoke in this hobby. (laughs) So I mentioned patterns again. Is it fair to project Panini's failures on the Fanatics before Fanatics NBA stuff has even seen the light of day? No, it's not. But we would be foolish to ignore what's already happened in the past and really what's happening in this moment because they've scooped up quite a few Panini employees. What's to say they aren't going to bring those same practices to Fanatics? So while it's nice that Ruben is saying all of this stuff, There are legitimate reasons why people are skeptical, myself included. We love this hobby. We want to see this same energy 10 years from now. Okay, the last topic I want to talk about in this first half of the show is Monopoly Prism. And based off the tone I've started out on here, you probably expect me to just tear this release to pieces. Well, I'm not here to do that. I had a bigger segment planned So I actually did read quite a bit about this release over the course of the week. It didn't take me long to realize that it's not for me, but I don't want to knock it just because I don't like it, right? I know there are people that legitimately like this product. I don't want to ruin it for them. Not here to rain on their parade or anything like that. We all have different tastes. I do want to approach it from the perspective of patterns, though, once again, because I go on social media or I go on Reddit And I see pictures of all these, I guess, boosters from Target with captions like, over 30 boosters, do I cave in? And it concerns me a little bit because there are parts of this sudden monopoly craze that have a strong pandemic era vibe to them. And I'm not the only person that I've seen point that out. And while there are people that like the game and like the way it plays, and I've heard it's a a quicker game, right? Because we all know Monopoly takes forever, or they like the cards and they like the 30 additional parallels, Um, a lot of the people that are hyping this stuff up are the type of people that will move on from it when the next hot potato comes their way. So a good portion of the people that say they're enjoying it really mean they're making good money off of it. Or they made good money off it and have already moved on because the people that are good at this whole uh, turn and burn game are so far ahead of the curve. They were in on the pre-orders. They moved it immediately. They didn't feel like they had to hold until the peak and they moved on or they got in early and they sold enough on the secondary market to break even and stash the rest. 
there are a lot of people that are really good at that. And while I have my own thoughts and opinions on it, I'm not even going to say it's a bad thing necessarily. I understand that right now, it's a part of the hobby ecosystem. But here's where the pattern comes in. Because just like in 2020 and 2021, we're seeing a lot of people with those same ambitions falling in line behind the others that have already perfected that craft. Using what that first group has done as proof of concept, but missing out on the most crucial part, which is timing. And it seems to me that, once again, a lot of people will get left holding the bag, right? Do not pass go. Do not collect 200. And I have to say, of all the patterns I've talked about today, this is the one that surprises me the most. Because when all this stuff happened in 2021, a lot of people hadn't been around long enough to see these cycles play out. So they didn't know any better. But what's puzzling to me is, I would say the majority of the people that are here now in 2023 were also here in 2021. So people should probably know better. Maybe they need another reminder. Maybe it has to happen to them every so often. Or maybe they're just nostalgic about a time that uh, seemingly had come and gone, right? I thought the days of, of all the retail flipping was were probably bias. Um, so, you know, maybe they want to get in on that again. But we've seen this play out many times before. So I want to close this segment the same way I begin. If you are participating in this hobby and really paying attention to what's going on, and maybe even you study some of the hobby history that predates your time here and your involvement, if you can process that information and you're able to adjust and react to that, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache. You're not going to get bamboozled every time a new trend or a new snake oil salesman comes around. You're going to be so much better off in the long run, I promise you. And I don't have all the answers and all the hobby history stored up either. I don't want to give you that impression, but I'd love to share with you what little I have. And that's one of the main driving forces of this show. If you listen to that, I, I, I think you know. So lean on me if you need to, and just know I'm rooting for you. All right, before I move into today's main segment, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time. But it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned. So whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle. Grind. Spam. Profit. We're the Rip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so as you might have seen on my YouTube channel, I recently received a 25-card shipment from ComC. And even though I'd be talking about this regardless, because it's mail, right, and this is a mail segment, I think it's only fair that you know they are a sponsor of this show. In fact, the only sponsor I'm aligned with right now. So some of you have mentioned to me that Apple Podcast is attaching other ads to the show. You know, I don't know. I don't hear those. I don't know anything about them. That's out of my control. So hopefully you can just skip through them real quick. But uh, I do want to give time to ComC. They are a legitimate sponsor. So before I talk about my package, I want to remind you that they are your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 29 million trading cards, from baseball superstars like Aaron Judge to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man. 
Comp C has something for every type of collector, right? Even a Pacers collector like me. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. Okay, so like I said, uh, this shipment was 25 cards. I paid $20 for rush shipping, which comes out to 80 cents a card. And I requested it on Monday, April 17th. They were packaged and delivered all the way across the country on Friday, April 21st. So that's not too bad. I can't complain about that at all. And um, I know some of you are probably looking at this and thinking, oh dear, he's going to talk about all 25 cards. No, you can see those on the YouTube if you want to see everything. Um, but I'm just going to talk about the types of cards I'm purchasing and maybe give you a sample or two of each one. So I've divided things into binder cards, patches, set cards, and miscellaneous. And keep in mind, there will be some overlap with those categories. So let's start with the miscellaneous. Um, to it, And it's really just one here. A card that I've already shipped to another location, mind you. And that was a 1961 Fleer Tom Meshery rookie. And the reason why this card is already gone, well, I sent it to Mr. Meshery himself in the hopes of getting it signed because I, I've you know seen that he's been signing lately I don't want to waste a lot of time with that. And that 1961 Fleer set, it's 66 cards total with a lot of players having two cards. But it's pretty amazing how many of those players are still alive and how many of them are still willing to sign. Um, I just got Dave Gamby back not too long ago as well. So, you know, with that in mind, I've had some wild thoughts about trying to make a run at that set, right? Just like I did my 72 set. Uh, but it's a little different. Even though it's, you know, it's like a fourth of the size, there are two Wilt rookies, two West rookies, two Oscar rookies, two Baylor rookies, two Russells, and then a few obscure signers on top of that. So I quickly dismissed that uh, because as I learned with my other set, once you start a set, you really have to commit to it and you end up passing on some other stuff you would otherwise like to have in your collection, uh, which I guess segues nicely into the second category I want to talk about which is set chases. It's not a huge autograph set chase, but uh, the main set I'm going to talk about is the 2021-2022 National Treasures Retro Materials Prime set, which has 28 cards total. And if I'm being perfectly honest here, I'd say it's more of a casual set chase. And it'll probably stay that way until I decide to knock out some of the bigger names, which are really not that bad, to be honest, compared to other sets. I think it's like Magic and Bird, right? Which, in you know, in the card world, there's actually a lot of Magic and Bird cards. Their stuff is probably lower than it should be. But the whole thing here, it started with me simply picking up players from the set that I liked. And because it's a set based on retired players, you know, there's a lot of them. I realized then, all right, I've got six or seven... Uh, and then any of them I saw were cheap, I added on from there. So in this latest shipment, I added Buck Williams and Christian Leitner, which brings me up to 12 out of the 28. Now, though, I'm, I'm at what I would call the set chase crossroads because I see a guy like Amari Stoudemire, um, or maybe a, a better example would be Kevin Martin. And I have to ask myself, do I really want to pay $15 shipped for Kevin Martin? And a lot of the times, actually in Kevin Martin's case, all of the time, the answer is no. So I've let a lot of these go, and I'm not sure if I'll ever finish this set. I guess that's why I refer to it as, as a casual set chase. Maybe this is something that I come back to, and every time there's a lull in the market or a lull in the things that I like, they're not showing up, right? 
I'll go, okay, maybe I will spend that $15 on Kevin Martin. So I'm playing the long game here. And this is where I like a site like ComC because, you know, one of those will pop up from time to time and I can use my store credit and get it shipped later on. So at the end of the day, if I get them all, great. If not, I feel like the ones I have still look good when they're all pictured together. And I think I posted that, uh, although not the updated version, but I posted uh, when I had 10 of them on my Instagram. So you can check that out. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that there would be some overlap, right? So those were patches, but I've got a couple other patches I received in this shipment that I want to run through real quick here. Uh, First, and it's actually a set that I mentioned earlier in the episode. I found a nice dual patch of Dikembe Mutombo from an old Fleer set called Trading Places, and it featured a piece from his Hawks days and then his time with the Sixers as well. So um, I needed one of those for my top 75 for my Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, It's also a 2000s card, right? So there's a lot of stuff about that one that I really liked. And then I guess I could say I influenced myself recently because I ended up buying a DJ Augustine Colossal patch that featured a large piece of a Black History Month warm-up. I have looked at this card so many times over the course of piecing that warm-up project together, you know, that 40-minute video I made on YouTube and that, you know, whatever, 25-minute podcast I did about it. I've looked at this card so many times when all was said and done, I, I just couldn't resist. I finally broke down and, and said, okay, I'm going to pay a little more than I normally would. So anyway, I've got that one. Um, try and get that one posted up as well. The last category of cards I want to talk about is one that more or less wouldn't have existed a few years ago, or at least not in the capacity that it does. Uh, that doesn't mean I wouldn't have collected some of these cards, but I've really changed my approach as of late and that's binder cards. And I guess I should do an aside here. Something I've been thinking about, I want to know about your guys' binder setups, right? So if that's something, you know, that that you're interested in sharing and you want to tell me about that, maybe record a, um, a quick one or two minute piece here, probably not even that long, about your binder setup, what's in it, how you organize it. Send it to me at waxmuseumpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and that might be something I use for a future episode. Who knows? If I get you know, enough of them, maybe I'll piece something together. But anyway, I've got this whole binder setup going on here. So I've got my staple, staple binders, uh, which is like a Pacers Gold binder. I've got a binder for base tops refractors, which is other tops products as well. One for base prism, optic, and select silvers. One for numbered cards of 2000s Pacers. And then a couple miscellaneous binders that I need to refine a little bit soon because I'll have, you know, one or two random pages here and there of different things. So hopefully this summer I can tackle that. I believe in this shipment I got something that would fit every one of those. I mentioned the Pacers Gold Binder, uh, which is just gold chromium cards. So we're talking Tops Chrome, Bowman Chrome, uh, Finest, Pristine, Prism, Select, Optic, Crusade, and so on. I think that covers the majority of them. I only got one card that fit that binder, but it was a big one for me. It was a 2003-2004 Topps Finest Gold Refractor of my PC guy, Ron Artest, numbered 1 out of 25. And even though I bought it off ComC, I bought it off a seller that listened to this show on a regular basis. We touched base on uh, Twitter and kind of made that deal happen. So thank you again, Anthony. Um, And then in addition to that, I got probably... 10 different low-end numbered cards of Pacers guys from the early to mid-2000s. It's stuff that I can't really get on eBay. Well, 
I guess I, I shouldn't say that, that I won't get on eBay because I get killed on shipping, but it's a lot more doable in a situation like this when my average shipping is something like 80 cents a card. Uh, so happy to add those. I don't think I pictured all those, but like I said, you'll see those on the YouTube video. And then the final card I want to talk about is not serial numbered, but it does seem relatively rare. It is a 2012-2013 Panini Innovation stained glass card, but it's the purple parallel. And this was purchased from someone who's amassed quite a few of these. I think he goes by, is it Kabam 27 cards, C-A-B-A-M 27 cards on Instagram. I guess he recognized my username on ComC because after I bought it, he reached out to me and we chatted some, which was actually a good thing because I had done some digging, trying to find a print run on these things without much luck at all. So I asked him what he knew, seeing as he had a, a somewhat sizable collection of them himself. He told me that he believes the purples fell one in every 15 box case and it's a hundred card set. Now, I also reached out to Evan, who goes by Geech Quest or Geech Quest Cards on Instagram, and he said that he's seen anywhere from one to four a case. So there doesn't seem to be any sort of definitive pattern or at least a consensus on that pattern. So I, I guess I still don't have any answers. Maybe you're listening, you know about those purples, or maybe the answer is just what people have said, and I should trust them that there's not any sort of pattern. Either way, let me know. Um, but hey, it's a great looking card. Uh, I do like to put those in my binder. You kind of have to put a white piece of paper or a thin decoy behind them so they show up, uh, but they look nice together. Um, so like I said, I, I hope to get this card and some of the others I talked about today up on my social media so you can see those for yourself. All right, well, there you have it. Hopefully today's segments gave you another look inside my collecting world, um, at my collecting philosophy and the types of things I collect uh, remember, if you want to tell me about your binder setup, go ahead, make, you know, put a recording together, make sure you're not eating, right? Or make sure there's not like a 20 mile wind gust in the background. That helps me out a lot. Uh, but put that together, email that to me at waxmuseumpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe there was something I talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me about that as well. You can do that on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at waxmuseumpodcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.